You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hello, everyone. My name is Wesley Levesay from the History of the Second World War podcast. Join me on a journey through the most destructive conflict in human history, a journey that will take us not just through the famous campaigns and cataclysmic battles, but also to the lesser well-known corners of the war that touched millions all over the world, as we try and answer not just the questions of what and where, but how and why. You can find History of the Second World War on all major podcast platforms or at historyofthesecondworldwar.com. Hey y'all, this week's show is going to be a little different. That's because we're moving in less than two weeks, and all that we have to do to still get ready for the move is a bit daunting, so we realized we should probably spend the next couple of weekends actually packing and whatnot. So, we're going to hold off on starting 1864 on the podcast timeline until after we move. But we came up with an idea that would mean we could still get some new episodes to you guys during that time. Well, there'll be new shows for most of you, because what we're going to do is release three old members episodes over the next three weeks. That will allow us to get ready to move, and then move, and then get settled in our new place, while we can still share some shows with all of you that most of you have never heard before. So, if you're a member of the Strawfoot Brigade, you may remember these shows, or maybe not, since including the new members episode we released yesterday, there are now 150 members episodes over on Patreon. And just a reminder, but if you are a member over on Patreon and support the podcast in that way, you'll continue to get members' episodes and regular episodes ad-free. Welcome to the very first members-only episode that we've done for our Civil War podcast. I'm Rich. And I'm Tracy. Hello, y'all. If you're listening to this, Rich and I want to say thank you for helping support what we're doing with the podcast by becoming a member. Rich and I truly appreciate your support and encouragement. With this first members episode, we're going to take a look at the life of James Patty Graydon, He's the man who tried to use those mule-borne explosive devices on the Confederates just before the Battle of Valverde in February 1862 during Sibley's New Mexico campaign. James Patty Graydon was one of the most interesting characters involved in the fighting in New Mexico during the Civil War. He was an Irish immigrant to America who eventually made the desert southwest his home. Born in 1832, Graydon fled his native land because of the devastating effects of the potato famine. He landed in Baltimore in 1853, and like many of his fellow Irishmen, shortly after his arrival, he turned to the U.S. military for employment. Just four months after stepping ashore in America, Graydon enlisted in the 1st U.S. Dragoons. After the briefest of training periods at Carlisle Barracks in Pennsylvania, Graydon and 43 other recruits were ordered west to New Mexico Territory. He arrived in Santa Fe in August 1853 and then joined his unit at Los Lunas, some 20 miles south of Albuquerque. 
One can only wonder at what went through Patty Graydon's mind as he surveyed the harsh, unfamiliar desert surroundings of the American Southwest. Certainly he must have reflected on how far he'd come from the green shores of his native land. But by all accounts, the fair-complexioned, blue-eyed young man, who stood five feet seven inches tall, took to frontier soldiering like he was born to it, and he never looked back. In the first Dragoons, Patty Graydon served under Captain Richard S. Ewell, a West Pointer who would go on to become a Confederate general during the Civil War. On the frontier, Ewell was known as a difficult officer to serve under since he was a bit of an eccentric and such a stern disciplinarian. But life in rural Ireland ravaged by the potato famine had accustomed Graydon to enduring hardship. And so although his first nine months of duty in the southwest included eight full months in the field chasing Apaches from the Sangre de Cristo Mountains to the Sonora Desert, he quickly became accustomed to the hard life of campaigning. The next year, Graydon's unit went east and campaigned along the Pecos River against the Mescalero Apache, who were highly competent warriors, and the fighting took a heavy toll on Graydon's company. During this time, the Irishman learned to speak Spanish and to hate Indians. From 1854 to 1856, Graydon was posted at Forts Thorn, Craig, and Union, usually in pursuit of the Mescalero. In September 1856, Graydon, as a newly promoted corporal, moved with his company of the 1st Dragoons to the Tucson area, where the United States was consolidating its hold over the recently acquired Gadsden Purchase. The Gadsden Purchase is a 29,640-square-mile region of present-day southern Arizona and southwestern New Mexico that was purchased by the United States in a treaty signed by James Gadsden, the American ambassador to Mexico at the time. The purchase was finalized in 1854, and its purpose was largely so that the U.S. might construct a transcontinental railroad along a deep southern route. It also aimed to reconcile outstanding border issues between the U.S. and Mexico following, following the Mexican-American War. So that's the Gadsden Purchase. And, based out of Fort Buchanan, still under the command of Yule, Graydon's company protected settlers from Apache raiders, Mexican horse thieves, and American fortune hunters seeking gold and silver. But then, in 1858, when his enlistment was up, he left the army and the low wages and the grueling frontier campaigning, and he opened a hotel, the United States Boundary Hotel, three miles from Fort Buchanan. He was 26 years old. For the next few years, Patty Graydon accommodated guests, stabled horses, ran a good saloon, hosted high-stakes poker games, housed the area's best prostitutes, farmed a bit of nearby land, and grew wealthy. He also became the chief instrument of civil law in the neighborhood. On both sides of the border, Graydon guided U.S. military expeditions, caught horse thieves and murderers, and ran down Indian raiders and rescued their captives. With the coming of the Civil War in 1861, when the first dragoons pulled out of southern New Mexico, Graydon followed and made his way to Santa Fe, where he offered his services to the Union. The federal commander, Colonel Edward R.S. Canby, gave Graydon a commission as a captain in the newly organized New Mexico Volunteers. Canby gave Graydon a permission to raise an independent company for scouting duties. 
In October 1861, Graydon recruited 84 native New Mexicans who signed up for 40 cents a day and provided their own horses and equipment. At a swearing-in ceremony, each recruit knelt before a silk banner the Irishman had prepared, swore by Jesus and Mary to support the Union in general, and Graydon in particular, and once the ritual was completed, the recruit was a member of Paddy Graydon's spy company. Graydon's scouts soon proved their worth. They patrolled the roads along the Rio Grande Valley, and in late December 1861, Graydon and his men rode all the way down into Texas, returning with a full report on Confederate forces at Fort Bliss and at Mesilla. In February 1862, when Confederate Brigadier General Henry Hopkins Sibley's Army of Texans headed north along the Rio Grande to invade northern New Mexico, Graydon kept Canby advised of the enemy's progress as they advanced toward Fort Craig. On February 16th, the rebels tried to lure the Federals out from behind the walls of the fort and fight them on the open plain south of the post. As the Confederates drew up in line of battle a short distance away, Fort Craig, at first, appeared to be deserted, but then the Stars and Stripes was run up the flagpole, and Canby, who had no intention of coming out and engaging the Texans in open battle, simply sent a small force out the gates to keep a close eye on the enemy. Paddy Graydon used this time to put on a dramatic one-man performance for the watching armies. Defiantly, ri defiantly riding out alone near the rebel lines, he put on a little circus show of horsemanship, taunting the enemy before spurring his mount away and returning to his cheering comrades. Several nights later, the night of the 20th, as the Texans were camped across the Rio Grande, maneuvering their way northward toward the Valverde Ford, Graydon attempted to use a rather... Um, unique weapon to strike a blow at the unsuspecting enemy. Supposedly with Canby's blessing, Graydon and a few select men from his spy company had taken two old mules and to their backs secured panniers containing 24-pounder artillery shells. Crossing the river just below the fort and passing through the Union picket line, Graydon and his companions used the cover of darkness to approach the Confederate camp. When Graydon thought they were close enough, they lit the fuses on the shells, and with a sudden shout and waving of hats, drove the mules toward the rebel position. Graydon had assumed the two old mules would naturally join the enemy horses and mules tethered nearby, but he turned out to be dead wrong. The mules obviously didn't comprehend their heroic role because rather than trotting off to blow up and stampede the rebel animals, they quickly turned back toward Graydon. As the two old mules with their sputtering fuses hurried toward them, Graydon and his men leapt upon their horses and managed to stay a safe distance ahead of the poor mules until the explosives detonated. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, 
shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. The detonations of the mule bombs might have inflicted little actual damage, other than to the two martyred mules, of course, but Patty Graydon did manage to disturb the sleep of the Texans. In fact, the blast triggered a stampede of the rebels' mules, and about 150 of the thirsty animals broke loose and headed for the waters of the Rio Grande, where they were corralled by the federal pickets along the river bottom. This hampered the Confederates' ability to move their supply train, so Graydon's caper did have some actual benefits. The next day, the Federals and Confederates clashed at the Valverde Ford, about four miles upstream from Fort Craig. Graydon and his men took part in every phase of the battle, fighting hard the entire day. One member of the company later recalled, quote, At the Battle of Valverde, we discharged our duty with effort and perseverance, battling face-to-face -face from nine o'clock in the morning till six in the evening when we received orders to retire, end quote. The battle ended when Canby retreated back behind the walls of Fort Craig. Sibley decided to continue marching northward, leaving the fort in his rear. The rebels went on to capture Albuquerque and the territorial capital of Santa Fe, but although they seized valuable supplies at each place, it wasn't enough, and Sibley's men also had to scour the surrounding countryside for provisions and forage. Whenever the Texans went out into the countryside to forage, Graydon's spy company buzzed around them like a pesky swarm of mosquitoes. On March 9th, Graydon rode into Fort Craig with 60 head of cattle he had liberated from the Texans. And at the end of the month, he arrived with 40 prisoners and 90 mules. And several days later, he captured a rebel picket of 10 men and an officer. After the Confederate invasion was halted at the Battle of Glorieta Pass on March 28th, the rebels began a 300-mile retreat from New Mexico back to West Texas. Canby followed cautiously, but Graydon was more active as he used his company to harass the enemy as they withdrew southward, badgering their rear guard, capturing straggling wagons, and just in general making their life miserable. One night near Socorro, Graydon and a single Federal soldier came upon a house full of Texans. Graydon decided to try to bluff the rebels into surrendering, so he raised a ruckus out in the darkness and shouted commands to two imaginary companies of soldiers. Completely taken in, the Confederates gave up without firing a shot. To avoid Fort Craig, Sibley's retreating army left the Rio Grande Valley south of Socorro and detoured southwest through the waterless canyons of the rugged Magdalena Mountains. Graydon followed the enemy's grueling march to the desert. As the exhausted, famished, and thirsty Texans struggled onward, Graydon's men found evidence the enemy was growing increasingly desperate. At one spot, he came across 19 abandoned wagons, 
ten ambulances, a half-dozen caissons, and three hastily buried howitzers. Along the trail he also came across dead Confederates, hapless Texans who had been too sick or exhausted to continue on, their bodies already being eaten by wolves as Graydon passed by. After the worn-out Confederates had left New Mexico and straggled back down into Texas, Canby, in May 1862, gave Graydon command of a company in the newly reorganized 1st New Mexico Cavalry. Graydon was eventually assigned the task of battling the still troublesome Mescalero Apaches, and so in October he departed for Fort Stanton with his men. Later that month, in the Galenas Mountains north of the fort, he encountered the aged chief Manuelito and a small band of Mescalero Apaches on their way to Santa Fe to meet with Brigadier General James Carleton, who by that time had replaced Canby as department commander. What followed next is debated, but most accounts agree that Graydon got the Indians drunk, then shot them, and then stole their horses and returned to Fort Stanton. Graydon's report paints a different picture. He stated that after he refused to give the Indians whiskey, they grew combative and he was forced to shoot to defend himself. At any rate, what remains undisputed is that at the end of the incident, eleven Apaches, including Manuelito, lay dead and twice as many were wounded. Graydon's actions were a source of considerable irritation to both Carleton and to Colonel Christopher Kit Carson, who had assumed command at Fort Stanton. Graydon was reprimanded, but the rebuke meant little to him. He did, however, take exception to a letter that appeared shortly thereafter in a Santa Fe newspaper denouncing his actions as barbaric and treacherous. A few weeks later, Dr. John Marmaduke Whitlock, a friend of Kit Carson's, rode into Fort Stanton. Graydon had just found out that Whitlock had written the letter to the Santa Fe newspaper, and when Graydon learned that the doctor was at Fort Stanton and was calling him a murderer and a thief, he determined to meet his accuser face to face. Whitlock was playing cards in the sutler's store at Fort Stanton on the evening of November 4, 1862, when Graydon burst in and confronted him. Patty Graydon wanted to know if it was true that the surgeon had called him, quote, an assassinating cowardly son of a bitch, end quote. Whitlock coolly replied that he couldn't recall uttering those exact words, but that the general idea was correct. Graydon left the store but returned a short time later with a letter for Whitlock, presumably a written challenge, but Whitlock simply continued his card game, saying, Captain, you see I am engaged. Let the matter rest until tomorrow, and I will give you an explanation and satisfaction if you desire. The next morning, Graydon again confronted Whitlock, angrily declaring, If you come to this post again and insult an officer, I will horsewhip you. I am an officer, and you are a pimp that follows the army. The doctor turned away, but then suddenly drew his pistol and shot at Graydon, who immediately returned fire. Graydon found cover behind a nearby wagon, while Whitlock retreated behind his Sibley tent. The two men kept firing at one another until suddenly Graydon clutched his chest and yelled, The son of a bitch has killed me! Whitlock had also been wounded, but not fatally. As some of Graydon's men rushed up to the scene, however, they promptly shot the surgeon to death. They then threw Whitlock's body into a ditch, where they continued to pump round after round into it. Kit Carson later estimated that over 100 bullets had been fired at his friend's corpse. Four members of Graydon's company were arrested and sent to Santa Fe to stand trial for murder. 
Three of them took part in a jailbreak on January 1st, 1863, but by the 18th they had all been recaptured, two of them by General Carleton himself. By that time the man they had sought to avenge was dead. Paddy Graydon died three days after his gunfight with Dr. Whitlock. He was buried at Fort Stanton, and some of his associates took up a collection so that his widow Eliza could travel from the territorial capital to pay her last respects. Twenty-four years later, Graydon's remains were moved to the National Cemetery in Santa Fe. Patty Graydon's contemporaries described him as reckless and arrogant and a braggart, but others praised him as enterprising and fearless. Despite those conflicting assessments, there's little doubt that in 1862, at the time of the Confederate invasion of New Mexico, the transplanted Irishman was the right man in the right place at the right time to badger and harass the enemy force that had entered the territory. And then later that year, at Fort Stanton, Paddy Graydon died as he had lived, as a man who never backed down from a fight. We probably won't have a book recommendation with every member's episode, but this time we do have one for y'all. It's Desert Tiger, Captain Patty Graydon and the Civil War in the Far Southwest by Jerry D. Thompson. Thompson's book is really just a brief monograph. It has around 60 or so pages of text. But if you're looking to learn more about Patty Graydon's life and his exploits in New Mexico, then it's definitely worth picking up. So that's it for our first members episode. Rich and I hope y'all enjoyed it. We appreciate your support, each one of you, and we look forward to sharing the next episode with you in a few weeks. Thanks, y'all. Thanks, everyone. We'll talk with you again soon.